welcome listeners once again to a special, special episode of Yeah Aha uh-huh with Lisa and Phil and Aaron. This is our Super Hello Bowl. There. Yep. Yeah. This is our Super Bowl edition. We're actually playing, to, we're actually speaking this week to Mark Edwards. Um, Philip will list some accomplishments in a moment, but um, he was, he is a, he has a Super Bowl ring, so he's very relevant. And he's also practically family because Philip's best friend, um, he's the nephew of Philip's best friend. So, hon, yeah. you can kind of, we're going to talk you up a little here, Mark, for a couple minutes. Yeah, I got a few uh, things to list off here real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Football, 1992, um, for the Norwood Indians, went to a semifinal Ohio State uh Championship. Mr. Football of Ohio, right? Correct. Back in high school. Yeah. Um, 1,721 rushing yards that year, 6,001 lifetime, 26 rushing TDs, 2,114 all-purpose yards. It's a pretty monster season, but that's only one side of the ball. Yeah, I was going to say, weren't you also a linebacker? Yeah, I made a few tackles as well. Right. Middle linebacker, mm-hmm. right? Middle linebacker? The mic? Yep. yep. The mic? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 113 tackles as the as the uh, middle linebacker, and wow. then, from then he went on to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And in his career at Notre Dame, I think he distinguished himself as the freshman touchdown leader in school history. Is that right? Uh, single season, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Total 1591 yards, 27 rushing TDs over his career, and five receiving TDs. Mm-hmm. So very distinguished career with Notre Dame. I remember you on uh, Notre Dame had that contract with NBC. So you mm-hmm. just switch on Channel Five and you can see Mark playing every uh, Saturday. It seemed like yeah. that was that was a big deal back then because not everybody you know, we didn't have the streaming and things like that. So being on national TV every week was uh, a really big deal back in those days. It was a huge deal. This is early nineties, right? Yeah, well, early mid nineties. I was there ninety three to ninety six seasons. Yeah. I, I let me say I'm a Bengals fan, but I do have a question. Um, rushing and receiving touchdowns. Rushing is where you ran the ball, and receiving is where you caught the ball. Is that right? Correct. Right. Okay. I, so, I wanted uh, to get that out there. Yeah, it's the it's the oval shaped kind of oblong ball, Lisa, the brown one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't don't don't. No. Uh, when I was seven, Easy. my father told me that. Um, the football players changed uniform in the middle of the game so that he could watch eight hours of football. And he told me it was one day. Uh, <laughs> and of course I was seven. I believed him. He was my daddy. <laughs> well, I'll just go here and finish off with the pro part. Yeah. Of, Sorry about that. Um, picked mm-hmm. in the second round of the 1997 NFL draft number 55 overall by the San Francisco 49ers. And that ain't nothing. Yeah, where he uh, was teammates mm-hmm. with people like Steve Young, mm-hmm. Jerry Rice, Dana Stabenfield, Ken Norton. Mm-hmm. Spent two years with the Niners, then went on to the Browns. I saw you play the first game at Paul Brown Stadium where you scored a touchdown and danced all over our field. <laughs> that that's like just when the Browns came back to being the Browns again, right? Yeah, yeah. I was part of the expansion Browns, uh, Carmen Policy and Dwight Clark, who were the executives 
personnel executives of Sam Fran, they're the ones that draft me. When the Browns started back up in 99, they brought a lot of former 49ers players in and they actually traded for me. So I got traded uh, the year of the draft and uh, played for the Browns for a couple of years. Yeah. But then probably your most uh, high profile stop was with Bill Belichick's New England Patriots, where you helped win the 2002 Super Bowl, which happened to be mm-hmm. the first Tom Brady Super Bowl championships. Um, that was the first Bill Belichick's. It was my first. It was Mike Brable's. There's a lot of firsts on um, yeah. that first. Uh, you know, they uh, that had started the dynasty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and distinguish yourself as on the cover of Sports Illustrated, the very famous photo sporting, that's sort of the sporting news. Sporting news. Oh, okay. Okay, that's right. Well, that gets rid of my question because <laughs> I was wondering. You know, there's a um, questions are relevant. There's supposed yeah. to be yeah. There's supposed to be a Sports Illustrated like thing where if you're on the cover, it like messes with your career. So never mind. Well, I, I, I think that was the the Madden jinx. If you were on the cover of the Madden video game, the the player almost always got hurt next year or something like that. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Could be an SI jinx too. You know the cover. I you know I I don't follow all that that much, but uh, definitely could be. Yeah. I think one year they put the Cleveland Indians on the cover and uh, you know uh, predicted they win 110 games or something like that, and they ended up with a very negative season. But, yeah. Um, well. Yeah, it's not relevant because it was the sporting news. Yeah. But went on to play two mm-hmm. two seasons with Jacksonville. I think you're living in Jacksonville now, right? Uh, yep, yep. We, we end up settling in Jacksonville. First year I was down there, I was playing golf on December 23rd in shorts and a golf shirt. And uh, like, wow, this is uh, this is kind of nice. Being yeah. up north- well, and the tax situation isn't bad either. Oh, uh, well, no, and our governor situation and, you know, Florida's been open and, you know, things are going well. We, we really enjoy it down there. Yeah. yeah, and occasionally there's naked drive-thrus. So, yeah. <laughs> so true, so true. <laughs> it's like Florida. And then I think uh, wrapped up your NFL career with the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, 13 career NFL touchdowns, the – Super Bowl championship and just a ton of uh, accomplishments. So thank you for allowing me to go through some of that from the top. <laughs> but we're really, really glad to have you on the podcast, um, especially this time of year. I mean, this city is absolutely on fire right now, as you can mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah, I know. You oh, yeah. I, I, I get a lot of it uh, still. Friends with a lot of uh, people from the hometown, and uh, I, I can't scroll through Facebook or anything else without seeing a darn who day. So, yeah, right. right. Mm-hmm. But so when you were in Norwood, you and Brian Pillman are probably the two most famous famous athletes from Norwood. And um, I know uh, while you were uh, going through, um, you know, your senior season and stuff like that, or, or, or some of the same teachers that you had. Probably, I'm sure mentored uh, Brian Pillman as well. Did you ever get a chance to meet him or have any opportunity? Uh, I, I I never got a chance to formally meet Brian. Uh, I know he, he, you know he, everybody knew of him. I know he came to speak to Norwood Middle School when I was in, in middle school. So you know Brian was uh, obviously several years in front of me, but everybody knew who Brian was, knew his accomplishments, and. 
by that time, you know, he played the one season with the Bengals or wherever it was. He was already into the wrestling, big time wrestling and whatnot. Um, but never, never really got to meet Brian. Um, but uh, definitely respect what he did for Norwood. Yeah, he had an uh, unfortunate accident that kind of cut his wrestling career short. So it became kind of a sad story. But who who were some of uh, your mentors then back in high school? Like Coach Barry, I know Jim Barry is someone Aaron and I both know um, mm-hmm. from having gone to school well, there. Yeah, Coach Barry is one of the big ones um, because, you know, we kind of went through this whole recruiting process together. Um, I was this really his first, you know, big division one recruit. Um, I want to say before me, Norwood hadn't had a division one recruit. And I mean, my senior year was 92. We hadn't had one since like 84, 83, like uh, uh, Gary Sexton, I think when played to Kentucky or something like that. And really we didn't, we didn't have another one until just last year, the year before, I believe one of the receivers went to a uh, historically black university last year, division one. So, Norwood hasn't been really known for uh, producing a lot of Division One big time athletes, I guess. So uh, when Jim and I were going through that, we kind of went through it together, and he helped guide me. And and obviously, you know, I had a lot of help from home as well. Um, but once again, I was the first one in my immediate family to go to college, so nobody uh, really had a lot of uh, experience with that either. So we kind of all went through that together. The recruiting trips, the you know coaches coming to visit, uh, the phone calls, the phone calls every night. You know, I, I would get home from practice and I would spend three or four hours on the darn phone talking to different coaches that were calling. And you know, back then it was you had call waiting, and that was it, right? So you know, I'd be on the phone with one, and another one would call in, and you know, I at that time I didn't know what kind of athlete I was going to be, you know, whether I was, you know, I figured I'd play college football somewhere, but I didn't know if it'd be like at a Miami of Ohio or, you know, somewhere bigger, you know, like it ended up being, but overall, you know, my family really helped me out a lot growing up. My, my, my mom, my stepdad, Jay, you know, he used to take me out to Reading little league football before Norwood had a, a peewee program. And, uh, and then obviously uh, Coach Barry, like, like we discussed. So I don't know if you remember meeting me ever, but I think I met you when you were about probably 12 or 13 years old, just getting into football, um, helping either Phil or Ken on one of their uh, newspaper delivery routes, like one uh, summer night. I, I would go out on occasion with Ken uh, overnight. And yeah, that, that wasn't particularly fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, on many of those. It was trips. different. It was different. So yeah. it was a good experience. It was always an adventure. But, uh, yeah. I, I, uh, well, sometimes uh, it was a snooze, but often yeah. an adventure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not too many opportunities for a 12 or 13 year old kid to be out at three in the morning. Yeah. But, you know, not, not the yeah. ideal spot either. But, <laughs> but I, I wonder at Norwood High School, you played, like I said, you played both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, linebacker, running back. And I remember hey, I, I kicked and punted too, Phil. You punted as well? I kicked, kicked and, punted. and punted. Yeah, don't forget about that. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. I, How I many kicking big. points did you score? You must be like, you must be the all time high scorer if you're kicking and scoring touchdowns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I kicked the extra points as well. Uh, so I, I think I led the city in scoring both my junior and senior year too. And, uh, you know, those extra points helped out a little bit. I imagine. So, I was going to ask which of the two roles you liked better, even though I know you made it as a, a running back. I really mean that that was your favorite position to play. What did you prefer? Did you prefer hitting people? As a so, uh, interestingly enough, like early in my career, I, I uh, my freshman year, I ended up 
first cracking the starting lineup of varsity as a linebacker uh, on defense and uh, actually got more accolades earlier in my career uh, on defense. I think I was second team all league um, my freshman year on as a linebacker, whereas, you know, you know I kind of started a little bit later freshman year, running the ball a little bit more. But Jim Barry, we, we ran the run and shoot offense my freshman year. So there's only one back. And that was a senior. And then as the year progressed, I started getting in there more and more. And we started progressing towards the to the I formation. So um, it's always fun scoring touchdowns, getting the ball and all that. But it's also a lot of darn fun knocking the heck out of somebody uh, when you're playing linebacker. So they said early on, I got recruited as a linebacker. But uh, as things kind of progressed, I knew it was going to be like playing fullback at uh, somewhere where they needed an athletic fullback, not just a big battering ram. Ultimately, I probably enjoyed running the ball more, the offensive side of the ball, but thankful for that defensive side for getting my start on varsity first there. Well, I noticed, I'm going to tell a little story, make it brief, I'm going to make it brief, but this is a story that uh, your aunt uh, always brings up to me about what, about a dunderhead I was when I was a kid. But when you guys played in that championship game in Columbus, or semifinal game, I think it was, in Columbus, in 1992, your aunt asked me to drive Ken. He had a big old van. Cheryl, her friend uh, Vicky, Blackie. I think your mom, a whole car full of, a uh, whole van load full of people up to that football game. One of those big old white vans, yeah. you know, that yeah. he could use newspapers yeah. with. For the papers, yeah. We got about yeah. a quarter of the way there, and I realized I had a busted axle. axle. <laughs> so we were driving up oh. there. With a busted in, in a sleet and snowstorm, and mm-hmm. everybody yep. man was like right up against the front window, watching it, completely petrified. You know, <laughs> trying to uh, you're holding on for wow. dear life, and we made it. But I remember when we got there, uh, he I, realized we, it was cold. You guys were warming up, and when I looked when I looked on the field, it, you could not miss you. It's not like you were taller than everybody else, although you were at least as tall as probably anybody else on the field. Mm-hmm. But a, there was just something about you, probably the same presence. thing that the, that the recruiters were seeing, is that mm-hmm. it was like a man amongst boys out there. You know, it's like this mm-hmm. before kickoff, you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you could definitely see you could definitely see the potential. So I just wonder, at that point in your career, were you thinking ahead? And, like, you, you jumped right in and said you were talking about different schools or Division One schools and stuff like that. Were you even thinking ahead to maybe the pros at that point? Well, from the time I was a little kid, you know, it was always a dream. Hey, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? Oh, well, you know, I want to play pro football. Uh, but at that point, no, I mean, it was a dream. Yes, was that I think that was a reality at that time. I I had no idea. Once again, I didn't know. I mean, I, I had a pretty good feeling at that point. That was senior year. Uh, pretty good idea at that point that I was going to at least play at a major Division One school. Um, I didn't know if it'd be like a Notre Dame, like a top 25, you know, perennial top team that, you know, could potentially win a national title or if it would, you know, be like a Purdue or something like that. But no, I wasn't projecting that far into the future. And quite frankly, it wasn't really until my junior year of college that when I, I really had a standout year and then I kind of figured as long as nothing drastic happens health wise, something like that, that I'd have a pretty darn good shot of getting drafted somewhere. So uh, high school, I wasn't thinking, I mean, obviously that was a dream. I wasn't actively thinking like, hey, you know, I'm working right now to play in the pros. I'm like, you take each step as they go and you get better each each level. 
and then all of a sudden you find yourself in that position where, hey, you know what? I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to go to the combine. I'm getting. I'm going to play in high school or uh, senior uh, college all star games and things like that. And uh, you know, then getting ready for the draft. So there, there's a, a biography out there that I found. Do you the- have a copy of it? Have you read it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Aaron Smith. Approached me, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, whenever that when we first came out. And, uh, you know, him and I did a, he, we wanted to do a book on me. Got a, actually got a hold of Jim Barry, and Jim Barry got a hold of me. And, you know, I, I did that with him, you know, a little crowd collaboration uh, many, many years ago. Uh, the name of the book is Odyssey from Blue Collar, Ohio to Super Bowl Champion by Adam Smith. And, in the, you know, I read a little bit of it online and talked about some of the recruiting process you went to. You got to meet Jim Harbaugh when he was assistant coach at the UC. And apparently, yep. you know, he, he kind of knew that uh, if, you would probably wind up at a bigger school than UC at that point. But, but of course, you yeah, had- well, back then, UC, you know, was kind of on the same level of like the Mac schools. And obviously, they've done a really good job since then, you know, being up there, you know, top, you know, top 10 type program now but back then they were they were you know neck and neck with miami of ohio not that there's anything wrong with miami ohio but you know it's a max school it's a lower you know group of five type program but back then uc was uh, they, they were they were just kind of starting to make the turn about that point that's the year uh, 93 is when tim murphy had like a nine and three year they kind of turned it around and then rick minner came in the year after who was my defensive coordinator at Notre Dame my freshman year and you know Rick kind of got him to a you know six and five seven and four type team and they just kind of kept UC kept trending in the right direction but but you also met like uh during this process you met uh Joe Paterno and of course uh Lou Holtz so I just wonder uh how crazy did the recruiting get like what kind of promise what's that experience like when you, when you get an audience with a legend like Lou Holtz and and he's trying to convince you that he's the come, man you know, to get you where you want to go Some people might say another name sells itself but I mean I'm, I'm right. just wondering what that's mm-hmm. like on your side of it Well the whole recruiting process I mean it, it was interesting you know we we kind of touched on it a little bit ago you know it starts you know really yeah, I think it starts earlier now, but back then it, you really started like your junior year. After the junior year, there's a certain time frame when coaches can finally start calling you. But I, mean, I started getting letters and things like that really after my freshman uh, football season. Interestingly enough, my first letter was from the University of Southern California, who later spurned me. But uh, you know, you, you, you go through you that, them. right? I, I, you start getting calls. You know, your junior year. Um, I, think, I think you can get calls back to four your junior year. January or July 31st or something like that, uh, back then at least. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I, I, I ended up talking to over 60 schools at some point my junior and senior year. Took visits, as many uh, unofficial visits as I could. I uh, visited I visited Michigan, you know, I visited UC, visited Ohio State, visited Notre Dame on my own. Went to Penn State's camp, went to uh, Michigan State's camp, went to West Virginia's camp. And was just trying to get a feel for what I was going to be or where I wanted to go. And interesting enough, like if I look back my freshman year, the University of Southern California is probably where I would have went. My sophomore year, it would have been Michigan State. My junior year, it probably would have been Penn State. And then, you know, Notre Dame starts really turning up the recruiting uh, before my senior year. Mm-hmm. And I start thinking about all this stuff, like, you know, Lou Holtz, you know, the offense they run is very 
uh, I, I knew I wasn't going to be a, a running back, you know, even, even in, in college, I was, I was too big. I wasn't quite fast enough. I was a really good high school running back, but Notre Dame was actually looking for athletic fullbacks. They, they, we had a, uh, quite a run of guys like Jerome Bettis, Rodney Culver, uh, you know, guys like that, that were athletic fullbacks that not only blocked, but ran the ball and catch the ball as well. And I kind of fit right into that mold. So when they started recruiting me, you know, it was just a matter of if they were going to offer me or not. And then that was definitely where I was going to go. Notre Dame, you know, four hours from home, Notre Dame at that point was competing for a national title every year. I knew I was going to get a great education. I knew I was going to be put into a great alumni network. So at that point, it was kind of a no brainer for me, but you know, still, Penn State still kept recruiting me hard, even after I committed to Notre Dame, verbally committed, still getting calls because, you know, you, you never know until you sign the paper and signing day back then wasn't until February. They didn't have an early signing day, but it, you know, it, it was, it was a little overwhelming at first, but you know, as you kind of go through the process, you start narrowing down your schools based upon what the things that you want, you know, obviously education was important to me. You know, I was a good student at Notre Dame or a good student in Norwood and wanted to continue that. I knew it was very important to me to get my degree because nobody in my media family had before, you know, and then plus their name had the football aspect of it too. It was a good offense for me for the type of player I was. I knew I was going to get, like I said, I was going to get my degree, but it was the football wise, good offense playing for a national title every year, not too far from home, you know, far enough away from home where, you know, nobody's going to show up at my doorstep unannounced, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, close enough where people and whatnot so at the end yeah. of the day they can just, drive they don't have to fly that's right the best all-around place for me uh, yeah, i have a question um do you i mean do you think that you what's your relationship as far as jessica goes because she just got her master's degree and we're just like wow she's just so yeah. amazing well you know yeah. I, my aunt cousin. yeah yeah my, my aunt cheryl who you know i, I live with all the way up and was you know, a, a very influential person in my life, you know, helped raise me and everything else. Jessica is my aunt's daughter. So, you know, when I was going to college, I mean, she was just, a, you know, just a baby, just about, yeah. you know, just a real little girl. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just I, she was the one about my senior year or maybe junior year that was screaming and crying and keeping me up at night. So, uh, you know, I didn't yeah. like her. <laughs> Get it. I get it. I to school and you know, get up for school and all that my junior senior year. She was she was just a little one at that point. Ah. So after you after you beat USC, it says you were you were the second person ever to be carried off the field after after Rudy. Is that a fact? Well, that's uh, that's the legend. Well, like I said, originally I got a good story about USC. So originally USC is is the first letter that I got, and they had a coach by the name of Larry Smith at the time, and we go all the way through my senior year, and USC is still one of my top schools. I actually set up an official visit with USC uh, for January of my senior year, so after the football season's over and all that. So Larry Smith ends up getting fired, and John Robinson gets hired. And John Robinson and his staff call me like, "Hey, Mark, I see we got a business set up for you. You know, send us some films so we can you know watch some film of you." I said, "Okay, no problem." So. Before even sending the film, they said, oh, we found your film. You're not good enough to play here, so we're going to cancel your visit. Oh, okay. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years to my junior year. We'd beat USC 
10 straight years. We tied them my sophomore year. So we had an 11 year unbeaten streak going against USC going into the 95 season. So we lost two games early that year. We were five and two, like ranked 17th or 18th in the country at the time. And USC was seven and oh, ranked fifth in the country. And this was the year they were finally supposed to beat us. John Robinson was there. Keyshawn Johnson it was his senior year. And uh, they came to South Bend and we just in October, we just beat their doors off. You know, we ended up beating 38 to 10, I think it was, you know, three touchdowns, ran for a two point conversion, threw for a two point conversion. I had 80 some yards rushing, 50 some yards receiving, something like that. And it was one of those big time wins that Notre Dame hadn't had in over two years. Uh, the last one was 93 my freshman year against Florida State. So it was one of those big time wins. And it was kind of one of those students rush the field type of uh, day. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, we're just celebrating and, you know, I get picked up and didn't think anything of it at the time. And we were just celebrating, have a good time. And then lo and behold, kind of, you know, years later, you know, when the Internet kind of gets more prominent and whatnot, this, uh, you know, getting carried off the field thing kind of gets bigger and bigger. Well, it's a cool story. It's like, thanks for coming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But um, Mm -hmm. I have one I have one question that I I really wanted before we move, move on to like the probe portion of your career i wanted to ask I have you one about, more too okay the thing that really turns a lot of people off about college football is this what goes on with the coaches between the end of the season and the bowl season like it happened it's happened to you see a lot mm-hmm. you know where uh we've happened lost the, what's that it happened in Notre dame this year it happened mm-hmm. in Notre dame with the same guy <laughs> this year yep. you know was was it like that back then and i mean what, what can they do to to I understand timing. Of it, it. Yeah, it definitely was not like that back then. Back then, you know, the, 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 the money was not nearly what it is for head coaches. Lou Holtz has said many, many times he never made more than $200,000 at Notre Dame because back then the university would not allow any employee to make more than the head of the university. So I think that's reasonable. Well, yeah, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also you got to remember that the TV contracts yeah, and who's bringing uh, more money in and all that other stuff wasn't nearly as big then either. So when all that stuff started blowing up, all these different rules and different, you know, the, the, all, the, all these, these coaching vacancies and the, and the importance of the money to the universities started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, it, it just got completely out of hand. So now it's just kind of a product of the environment. There's so much money out there for the, not only for the coaches, but for the universities, if they have the right coach. So mm-hmm. do I like it? No. Do I understand it? Yes. So it's just one of those things. It's, it's the, the, the new way of football, you know, but yeah. at the same time, you know, these coaches, you know, they get fired real quick too. So, yeah. you know, they get, they got to take advantage when they are hot because, mm-hmm. you know, got like, like coach O he wins national title two, two a year and a half later, he gets fired. Yeah. You know, there's no uh, loyalty on that side. There, 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 there's no loyalty from, you know, the schools. So, you know, I, I, I can't necessarily find big fault with the coaches for when it arrives. No, no. I'm, I'm, you know, if you can negotiate it, it is a, you know, free market economy. But just from the um, fans point of view, it's like I remember when I was a kid, the bowl games like New Year's Day was just huge. You'd sit there yep. all day long watching those games. And it, and it was like. It really meant something, you know, and it's like 
Mm. They've, they've taken the national title playoff is great, even though they probably should allow more teams in. But uh, it's taken some of the luster off off of that with these coaches. That, uh, mm-hmm. Once again, if they expand that playoff, that'll be the biggest thing. They'll be bigger than the bowl games. You know, you're not, not going to have the tradition and the history, which you know a lot of us older people uh, like because that's how that's how it was when we grew up. But this newer generation isn't going to know any different. This is what they're growing up with, and you know they're going to enjoy the heck out of the playoffs because I mean, look at the NFL playoffs. What they've done this year, it's been absolutely insane. Look at March Madness, the divisional rounds and the championship rounds. I mean, damn, dark. Every game came down to the last play. You know, with the exception of that Rams Forty Niners drive game, which came down to the last drive. You know, I mean, it was just absolutely amazing football. And if we can get something like that. Uh, and going in college, yeah, I mean, we, we still like, you know, the traditional bowl games, but that's going to be pretty exciting football still. Mm-hmm. Aaron, you had I was fascinated with the kicking. And my question, since I first came up with it, it's become like a multi-parter. Mm-hmm. So what's your longest field goal, your farthest punt? What was your best <laughs> punt? And have you ever kicked a game-winning field goal as the clock ran out? You know what? we. We almost never attempted field goals. Because you were uh, winning 38 to nothing. We were running the ball, and we would go for it on fourth. I, t- I attempted only attempt But if there's one second left from the, from the 50, or, you know. But I, I attempted one field goal in high school. We were down 21 to nothing to Harrison my junior year. We come back in the second half, and we're down uh, 20 19, 21-19, we kick an onside kick. We go down. I have like a 38-yard field goal. And with as basically time's expiring, I kicked it. It went over the goal post, and they called it no good. It oh, could, no. could have gone either way, but it would have been good from 55. I absolutely drilled it. But Sweet. it went over <laughs> the goal post, and they called it no good. No, that was Still your only attempt? My, my only attempt, yep. I was so over From 55. Well, no, it, it, was, from, like, it was from it, how far it, was from? But from 38 yards, it went 38, over, but it was good enough for 50 over the upright. So, yeah, at uh, uh, at waterworks, all that. I, I have no idea, uh, you know, what, what the longest punt was. Sometimes I'd shank them, sometimes I'd hit them, you know, 50 right. yards. I mean, yeah, 50 ish. Yeah, yeah, well, you know what? I, or did you ever have I, like I a, say, the sweet uh, coffin corner, like he, pin them down and at the one like, kind of thing? year I, I was all league punter i think i averaged like 40 some oh, nice. yards but now all of them didn't carry 40 40 some yards a lot of them you know you know, we, we kind of kick them a little bit end over end or they'd miss them and it would get, i get some nice roll but mm. but i remember i was like 40 40 some yards a, a punt my uh junior senior year i don't remember nice wow you know i want to ask you real quick what about the psychology of football like when you're watching a football game and it, it team may be dominating the game they may be deep and the other the opponents uh, into the field, they may be at the 15 yard line. They turn over to football, and for whatever reason, everything, all the momentum, everything that they build up to that point in the game changes. The other team comes out, the offense comes out, and they hit on like a 60 yard bomb. They march down the field in like 30 seconds and score. You see this all the time. How can a team just like, what is it about the turnover that wakes up a team like that? I mean, this is. Well, turnovers are one of the most influential predictors of who's going to win the game. You know, there was always uh, 
every level I ever played at, well, we, we didn't get into the turnovers too much, uh, you know, little league, but you know, it was protect the ball and get turnovers. Right. And there's a percentage of, uh, you know, if, if you're plus one in the turnover differential, you win 60% of the time. If you're plus two, you win 75% of the time. If you're plus three in the turnover differential, you win 80, you know, 90% of the time, you know, plus four or more, 95 and up, you know, red, red zone offense, red zone defense, very similar predictors of, you know, who, who's going to win, you know, who, whoever's highest in red zone percentage on both sides of the ball. So like th- those are different, like, metrics that these coaches nowadays look at and that goes into their fourth down decisions and you know should I go forward on fourth downs and things like that but and I don't know it's just something about a turnover is it's always a big emotional boost especially if it's one of those like you said where you know one team is going down they're kind of dominating they're eating up time possession you know you think they already you know got three on the board basically and then they turn the ball over I mean, you go from down three to, or down three or potentially more to, hey, you know what, we got the ball. And if you hit a big play or something like that, you know, just momentum changes drastically. But, you know, it's not so much just the emotional part of getting a turnover. It's just the the, the whole statistical part about getting a tururnover and winning the turnover battle. Well, what about if when the team, like the defense is sitting over on the bench or they haven't really huddled up and talked about what they need to do on the next series or something like that, and all of a sudden they're thrown back onto the field without any kind of preparation? Does that, that play into it a little bit? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, for the most part, you're ready to get back out there no matter what. Now, you know, if your defense has been out there a long time, you know, they haven't quite properly rested yet, Um, you know, you, you see a lot of times that time possession – also is kind of a predictor. I mean, it's, it's not so it, – it used to be more so when teams ran the ball more. It's less and less now because you see these teams scoring so darn fast that they don't have much time possession, but, you know, they still blow the tar out of somebody. Um, but, you know, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's a whole lot. I mean, the, t- the teams are, are always prepared. They uh, they know the game plan and all that. But, you know, sometimes it's just it's a little, bit, little deflation to the ego. Yeah. All right. Uh- Okay, I have one more question, and then I think we need to take a break for our sponsor. Have uh, I don't know if you noticed, but we have a weird, yeah, weird owl Funko Pop uh, bobblehead. Yeah. Um, and I know that Philip and Ken they get season tickets for the Reds every year, and they come home with bobblehead after bobblehead after bobblehead. Are you immut- immortalized in a bobblehead? Not that I know of, but mm-hmm. there was a little Cleveland Browns. Edwards Bear that was out there, you know, during my time. Oh, at neat. And uh, I, I, I have had uh, some some guy people have sent me different pictures they've drawn of me playing. Uh, I've had guys uh-huh. dreams of me uh, in my Notre Dame outfit and sent mm-hmm. them to me uh, in the Patriots outfit, sent them to me. Some of them they send to me, some of them they sell online, some of them they give me an autograph and I send back. So, yeah. but I, but I'm not a bobblehead. That I know, I, you know, yeah. Mickey Mantle could not understand the concept of uh, people wearing jerseys, idolizing mm-hmm. athletes, you know, drawing pictures of idolatry, <laughs> idolatry. He could not, mm-hmm. he could not get over that. I mean, do, do you find that amusing sometimes when you, you know, get mail and you open it up and say, "Oh, this is a picture of me playing, you know, scoring a touchdown yeah. or something." Oh, you know, I, I still get some random fan mail somehow. Or another, my name's out there on some 
or my address mm-hmm. is out there in some NFLPA website or something like that. So mm-hmm. I'll charge, you know, a couple of week maybe um, from, wow. from collectors. But yeah, yeah I, you know, I, I uh, it was always cool for me, I guess, because, you know, it, it didn't really happen a whole lot until I got into college in my junior, senior year. And then all of a sudden, Notre Dame started selling number 44 in the in the bookstore, right? Yeah. Um, oh, cool. So we'll see people wearing 44. And, you know, even now I'll see somebody in an old champion jersey, 44, that I know, you know, was from my time because they switched from champion to Adidas when Bob Davey got there. So if it's a champion jersey, I know it's probably uh, from, you know, the early 90s when Mark Edwards was full back there. Yeah. Cool. But, but, I mean, so I met George Foster at the ballpark one time. Ken was with I, me, actually. And yeah. uh, were you always 44 for the most part everywhere? Uh, I was, I was growing up in little league. I was 43 uh, for five years of little league. And then I got to middle school at Norwood and they did not have a number 43. So I switched to 44. I was able to keep 44. Like a senior was 44 at Norwood, my eighth grade year. So I went to ninth grade, 44 was sitting there waiting for me. I got to college uh, a senior, actually Jim Flanagan wore 44. So my freshman year of Notre Dame I wore number 30 and then I switched back my sophomore year and then everywhere I went in the pros 44 was always available uh San Fran Cleveland New England Jacksonville and then I go to Chicago my last year and there's a practice squad kid that has number 44 so they end up giving me number 49 now I could have been a jerk and just strong arming for it and just took it but I figured it was my last year in the league whatever it'll be fine Mm-hmm. Bill George Foster, sorry about that. Well, that's yeah. that's fine. I, I was just I was just trying to uh, make my point. Like um, we met George on, on the concourse at the ballpark. He's always you know when I was a kid, he was like my favorite player. You yeah, know, 50 home runs, nineteen seventy seven MVP, big red machine, all that. <laughs> so he's a funny guy. So when I met him, I didn't know what to say. I said, "Man, you were my favorite player when I was a kid," and he just looked at me like. You're a grown ass man. What the hell's the matter? <laughs> but he was joking. He was joking. Yeah. But he, yeah. he just kind of slapped me on the chest and just said, you know, you know, mm-hmm. get hold of yourself or whatever. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of that's, that's funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, next time we saw him, we were going through the, the, the stadium and he rushed up behind us and he saw Ken and he like reached around and grabbed his hand and shook his hand like he, you know, like they were long lost buddies. It's like he remembered us. Nice. So that was cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. But let's let's go ahead and take a break. Mm-hmm. Um for our sponsor. Welcome back, listeners. We are still speaking with Mark Edwards, um, who, if you haven't watched, listened to the beginning of the podcast, get back in there. Go to the beginning. Talk about all his accolades. Yeah. I will say this much. The, we ended with a bobblehead question. And uh, one of the things that inspired that question is our, bo- our bobblehead of uh, Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, Phil got me the bobblehead to uh, memorialize the fact that he spent a whole, whole lot of money on Weird Al Yankovic VIP Meet the Star tickets for his current tour. So we're going to be going to Dayton, Ohio. We spent loads of money on the tickets and um, we're even going to be hitting a hotel. So I'm very, it's like, yay! I've been a fan of Weird Al since the 80s when his career started. Um, part of that is I took, um, and this absolutely shocked Philip. I told him this year, I finally confessed, 
I actually did take accordion lessons as a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It was not that long. And um, unfortunately, um, accordions and um, some girls don't do well together. Right. And I, uh, there's a risk of it got to the point where, yeah, there was a bit of a risk of injury, you know, and the squeeze yeah. box there. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. There were developments. <laughs> I was about 11 when that started. So, well, there's got to be a time. And it in. went fast. You didn't shift to piano after that? No, no. I, I really, I'm not, I'm not, I'm more of a spoken word than, than like music. I was never into music like that, you know? Yeah. So, it was just my mom's idea to put us into classes and get us to try new things. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So, so I'm sure there's a tie-in between mm-hmm. Weird Al and football somewhere. Yeah, we haven't found maybe. it yet. Yeah, we haven't maybe found that. Maybe we'll it. ask him when we see him. He's not really, he didn't do a whole lot of sports stuff. Well, you never know. Sometimes you start yeah. digging a little bit and not too yeah. far down on the surface. You know. Okay, well, we'll do that. Uh, we'll do a deep dive in our research. We're going to ask him on. You yeah. Can always ask him if he comes on. Uh-huh. All right, Mark. Okay. So let's move, uh, let's move ahead to mm-hmm. the pro, the NFL phase of your career you were drafted in the second round number 55 which that today in today's money that'd be worth a lot of money that position in a draft Uh, a lot more than was back then certainly yeah i mean that's an impressive spot right there i mean Mm -hmm. um and and you were drafted by the 49ers they had a a, i think he preceded you tom rathman actually by the time i got the 49ers tom was done playing and he was right. actually first year running back coach. He was my running back coach my first year there. William right. Floyd was there my first year as the uh, fullback, and he was a darn good guy to learn from. And he was he was going into a free agent year, so yeah. uh, apparently I did well enough my rookie year that uh, they let him go in free agency. And then uh, I was a starter my second year there. But uh, but yeah, you mentioned a little bit earlier. It was back in the Steve Young, Jerry Rice days. Uh, we had a loaded team, Garrison Hurst, uh, Terrell Owens, Brent Jones, you know, defense, you know, Merton Hanks and Brian Young. kickers, Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson was a kicker my rookie year. Absolutely. I played I play golf with Gary at Stanford uh, Golf Course a couple times. I can hear Pat Summerall nice. saying some of his names right now. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, Funny, Gary yeah. was one of the players on that team and i was you know just a rookie the youngest player so but uh i think i've heard pat summerall say your name mark a couple times way back when but rath i mean rathman was a similar player to you it's like the not you fit perfectly into that offense because they, they kind of they really utilized the fullback position on that team yeah you know it was the, the west coast offense utilizes the fullback as more than just a, a glorified blocker uh, you know, obviously you got to do the blocking part, but they're going to give you a couple carries. You're going to catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit. So they're always looking for an athletic fullback. And that, and that's what I was. I wasn't the 265 pound, you know, jarhead blocking guy. Uh, I can get the job done blocking, but you know, I had a little more offensive skills, uh, as well. Actually, I mean, what did you think of San Francisco as a city? Uh, you know what? I was a, a young guy. I was only out there for about a year and a half. So. I didn't get to the city too much back then. We you know, we would go down to Fisherman's Wharf and stuff like that, which was pretty cool. Go over and visit Alcatraz a little bit. Never made it up to wine country when I was playing. Still in, but, still in Candlestick then? Uh, yes, yes. Candlestick was a dump. It was right there at the end. <laughs> uh, you know, before 
new one actually up uh, near where the practice facility was. Um, yeah, you know, we, we weren't downtown that much because our uh, practice facility was a lot closer to San Jose than it actually was San Francisco. I mean, so a lot of players, you hear them in the draft and they say, uh, or after the draft and in their interviews and stuff, they'll say, well, I thought I thought I was going to go here because I'd been talking to this team and that team. Where were some of the other, t- during the draft process, where were some of the other teams that were? You know, you, you know what? I, I really had no clue where I was going. Um, you know, I, I talked to, Back then, there were 30 teams. I probably talked to 25 or 26 of them at one point or another. I really had no idea. I thought that you know, I was projected to be a mid-second to mid-third round draft pick, and I was drafted you know, right towards the end of the second round. Come to find out, what I heard, at least, was that at that time, Philadelphia had the 55th pick, Carolina had the 56th pick, and San Fran had the 57th pick. San Fran traded with Philadelphia to get in front of Carolina because supposedly Carolina was going to take me at 56. So, uh, and and back then, Philadelphia had a pretty good fullback. If I remember, that was Kevin Turner at the time. So, uh, yeah. San Fran made a deal with him, traded up to get me, and that's where I ended up going. So, close to being a uh, Carolina Panther. Yeah. yeah. Would uh- – were you, I mean, was there a team that you didn't want to be drafted by? Uh, I, I never really thought of it that way. Okay. Um, obviously, I, you know, I wanted to go to a team where I had a chance to win. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I really wanted to go as early as possible in the draft and go somewhere in the draft. <laughs> you know, uh, the earlier the better. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I never really thought of it that way. Like, yeah, you know, I don't want, but, you know, but back then, you know, Quite frankly, Cincinnati was always one of the f- first picks in the draft. They were really struggling back then. You know, the Rams, I think the Rams had the first pick in the draft that year and ended up picking Orlando yeah. Pace. So, yeah, uh, we, we've actually celebrated the fact that, you know, at, at some point as Bengals fans, mm-hmm. we have celebrated the years when they didn't have the first pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right. It looks like kind both of your both your years with the 49ers, you made the postseason too. Two games, uh, yep, yep. you won a game in each year. Wow. Yep, went to the uh, won, won the division uh, my rookie year and lost in the NFC Championship game to the Packers. And then my uh, second year, '98, we uh, beat Green Bay in the wild card round with uh, the catch two by Terrell Owens, and then mm-hmm. uh, lost to Atlanta, the Dirty Birds, uh, by oh, two man. points in the divisional round before they went on to the Super Bowl. Uh, they went on to the AFC Championship and then Super Bowl. Um, so, and then, okay, so after the Niners, you moved on to the reformed Cleveland Browns. They were kind of, uh, it was kind of sad the way they lost their Zero franchise. Zero postseasons with the Browns. Zero, yeah. Well, we, went, we had 2-14 and 14 and 3-13 and 13 in those two years with the Browns. And uh, – those were a couple of long, rough years, but the Cleveland fans at that point were just happy to have a team back, and uh, they were uh, very supportive of the Browns. And you know, I enjoyed living up there. It was you know back kind of closer to home again. Uh, family were able to drive up to the games and things like that. And then obviously got to play in Cincinnati twice a year uh, back then. So you know, the first year we played down in the old Riverfront. That was the last year, nineteen ninety nine, and then. Paul Brown Stadium opened up in 2000, as Phil mentioned early on. Uh, you know, got a win in the opening game 
at Paul Brown Stadium against my hometown Bengals and uh, scored a touchdown. It was first game of the year, or the uh, it was it was the first game, game of Paul Brown. Yeah, first game of Paul Brown, second game of the year that year. Yeah, very cool. I was there with all the carries and the Edwards, and mm-hmm. up there, I was the only one with Bengal gear on. But I did, <laughs> I cheered when you scored your touchdown. All right, all right. You can cheer <laughs> for an individual and a, yeah. you know. So mm-hmm. if this if the story were to end with the Browns, it would still be an incredible you know journey you've been on for sure. But it really, uh, you know, it really took a tremendous step forward when you joined the New England Patriots, coached by Bill Belichick. Um, yeah, when the when my contract ran out, it was my first contract as they got traded to the Browns. So uh, I was a free agent, and New England was the first one that called me. They were five and eleven the year before. As a matter of fact, one of the three wins we had my second year with the Browns was against New England and Bill Belichick. So uh, going there, I, there, there weren't, weren't very high expectations, but, you know, they wanted me the most, and uh, yeah, I wanted to keep playing, obviously. So uh, we get there, and, you know, Drew Bledsoe just signed the first $100 million contract. They brought in a lot of free agents like Antoine Smith, brought in Mike Compton, Mike Vrabel, uh, guys like that. And, uh, you know, we lose the opening game of the season in Cincinnati that year, and this is, you know, 2001 season so this is still like the 1990s Bengals when they were going two and 14 and three and 13 and uh you know not 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 having too many winning seasons so we lose to them then 9-11 happens so the next I'd week, say this is right around 9-11 too yeah 9-11 happened the next week so there was no game and then we came back and we played the Jets and that's the game where Mo Lewis hits Drew Bledsoe and knocks him out she hears a blood vessel on his chest so we lose that game 10 to 3. So we're 0 and 2. We just lost our franchise <laughs> quarterback. We finished 5 and 11 the year before. We th- at this point, I think we we'll didn't lose your franchise quarterback. You gained your franchise quarterback. Uh, we didn't know that at the time, though. We didn't know that at the time. <laughs> so, and, and actually, you know, if you kind of look at that season, you know, we were 0 and 2. We won the first game with Brady. Uh, we, we lost down in Miami. We get to 3 and 3. Well, then we go to five and five. We lose to the Rams. We get to, where we get to five and four. We lose to the Rams on a Sunday night, and then we just run the table. But if you look back at that season, you know Brady wasn't throwing for three and four hundred yards a game back then. He was throwing for two hundred yards a game, one touchdown, no picks. We ran for one hundred and fifty yards. We played good, all good uh, red zone offense, good red zone defense. We were top five in turnover differential in the league, and you know we we we, we not only that, but we scored on offense, or excuse me, scored on defense or special teams darn near every game in the latter half of the season. So I mean, that's how we won. You know, Brady you know, threw for 300 yards a couple times, but for the most part, we were protecting Brady. We were running, play action, playing great defense that year. So in the was it Brady or was it Belichick, you're falling on the Belichick side. Well, no, I think <laughs> it was Belichick early on because if you remember those early wins with Brady it was they they we always they always had a great defense right mm-hmm. the, the first year and special had, teams I, 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 I threw for 2,500 yards when they won the Super Bowl in 03 and 04 after I left he threw for like 3,500 yards right I mean he was always good don't get me wrong but mm-hmm. he wasn't putting up ridiculous numbers he started doing that like 07 08 and has been doing that ever since so yeah. you know New England trans transitioned from 
a defense first team to an offense first team under Brady. Granted, they always had good defense and good schemes and whatnot, but uh, I mean, they're both the GOAT yeah. in their respective positions. So, and there's no doubt about that. Do you have any uh, stories, anything about, you know, he's, he's announced his retirement. Um, and then recently, I guess he announced that, you know, wait a minute, I might think about it later or something. But Hasn't he been retiring for like six years? No, no, no. Or am I thinking of somebody else? Since he doesn't want to retire. But he's yeah. That was the old Brett Favre. But no, Brady, uh, when I got to when I got to New England, Brady was the fourth team quarterback. Um, yeah, he was a scrub, basically, right? You know, a guy that barely made the team the year before, and they only kept him because they kept four quarterbacks. Well, most teams keep three quarterbacks. Some teams keep two and a practice squad guy. New England kept four quarterbacks that year. And then the next year, he shows up at camp, and he is really looking good. So he beats out Michael Bishop who played at Kansas State, was a great quarterback. They end up releasing Michael Bishop, and they brought in Damon Heward, who was starting down in Miami. They end up – he ends up beating out Damon Heward uh, for the second spot. And like I said, Brett Bledsoe just signed that $100 million deal. He's a franchise quarterback, so he wasn't going anywhere. But uh, yeah, Brady uh, looked really good in training camp as, as a young second-year player, and it showed once he finally got in there. But once again, we weren't – asking Brady to throw for three and 400 yards a game and win the games for us. We were playing great team football and, you know, kind of protecting him a little bit those early years. And then eventually he kind of took over and was the man. And uh, he just the, the stuff that he's done is just absolutely ridiculous ever since then. People try to – people try to draw parallels between Burrow – and Brady and I'm like Burrow better get started this with this one. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's there's, there's not, not a whole lot of there, there's there, there's not a whole lot of uh, comparison yeah. from the start of their careers. You know, given Brady was you know the sixth draft of the sixth round, and Burrow was number one overall. So uh, Brady was on a national title team in college, but he wasn't starting quarterback at the time. He played a little bit, I think. So uh, Bur- Burrow's taking a little bit different path. Uh, the yeah. Brady, but you do see some of those leadership quality styles out of Burrow that Brady developed into probably even a little bit later in his career than even a second year, third year. So came back from a devastating injury. Yeah. Was yeah. Uh, your uh, knee injury similar, but it, it, the parallels aren't really all there. I don't think, I think you're right about that, but um, didn't that okay? Let's talk about the Super Bowl because we have the, we're in the, the cuspus of the Super Bowl. Your man with Super Bowl experience wasn't the Patriots the first team to come out together at the beginning. Uh, when I was a kid, I was like, I loved it when you know they called Ken Anderson's name in the Super Bowl. And oh, yeah. the happened yeah. in the, that, in that the was the first game. time. I actually, uh, we started doing that early in the season because let's mm-hmm. so went down. It was like, all right, we don't have our superstar to win the game for us anymore. We're going to have to win these games as a team. We all got to pick up our own individual game, and collectively, that's kind of what happened. So it was early in the season we actually started doing that. We started getting introduced as a team, and we just kept that going on as the season progressed, and we were the first team to do that ever at the Super Bowl. Yeah, and it continues today. But Mm -hmm. I wonder what – 
what these got what these Bengals are going through. Uh, as someone who's experienced it before, Super Bowl week and the tremendous hype and all the you know excitement surrounding it. Um, taking two weeks off, right at a point when you're probably most prepared to play. You know, um, what can the Bengals? You know, as Bengals fans, we want to know what that. You know, what can they do to, to to keep their heads about them and and, and play a good good football game on Sunday? Well, it it uh, the year that we went to the Super Bowl because of nine eleven. You know, there there was supposed to be a bye week in between the end of the season or. or uh, the NFC, AFC, the championship games, the Super Bowl, but there wasn't because everything got moved back a week, right? So we won the AFC championship Sunday. We're on, we're, we're in New Orleans Monday by noon. Um, like there's just no time for planning. We had to do everything like right away, which was kind of a blessing in disguise looking back because right. I mean, guys, they, you know, had the big win last Sunday or, uh, well, yeah, a, a, a week ago from Sunday, and they're they're back in Cincinnati. You know, they're practicing their normal thing. You know, they got just so long for it to marinate and so long for everything to go on. But you know, when you get there, like we got there on Monday, so they're I'm assuming the Bengals already left for California. Yeah, they're they're already yeah. So you know, you get there the the, the, the next day. Like the first night, everybody goes out, you know, gets crazy, enjoys the city, whatever. Maybe a little bit different now, you know, COVID and all that other stuff in California. Um, but we all went out, had a good time. And then uh, that's why you see uh, on Super Bowl media day, you always see the guy with sunglasses on. You know, their eyes are a little bloodshot from the night before. But uh, <laughs> yeah. we uh, went out that night, had media day the next day. And then you just, you know, you, you try to have as normal of a week of practice and preparation as you can. But there's media days every single day. Um, so there's always more distractions. And then, you know, you got to worry about tickets and, you know, getting people there, logistics, you know, because you know, typically your family doesn't always go to just a normal away game. You know, you fly out on a Friday night or, or a Saturday morning, and then, you know, you play the game on Sunday, you spend the night, play the game on Sunday, and then you come home right after the game. So, you know, Super Bowl is a whole different thing. You know, you're going there, you're there for almost a week, you're doing everything at a different place. Your family's not there, and then all of a sudden, you know, Thursday, Friday, your family starts coming in. You get more and more busy, and you're still trying to stay focused on the biggest game of your life at that time. So there's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of logistical issues that you got to deal with. But once you get to the game, you know, on game day, everything just lasts a little bit longer. Everything takes a little bit longer. It's a it's an evening game, right? So you know, guys play ninety percent of their games at one o'clock. Right, one o'clock, four o'clock. Uh, so it's an evening game. So you're sitting around all day, just waiting for the biggest game ever. You have to get to the stadium earlier than you normally do during a normal game. Guys get to the stadium three to four, uh, three two to three hours before the game. Um, go out for warmups about an hour before the game, whereas everything happens sooner because there's so much more fanfare going on. So you got to get to the stadium four hours before the game because there's more traffic, more security, more everything. You know, you go out, you know, two almost two hours before the game because you have to come back in because there's the pregame show and the long uh, star-spangled banner. Everything takes longer, right? The the halftime is even longer. So there's a lot of hurry-up uh, halftime Super Bowl day, but the whole week is hectic and you got to 
really compartmentalize, you know, the football with the non-football stuff. Uh, who performed at halftime in that Super Bowl? Uh, that was U2. Oh, okay. okay. It's a beautiful day, yeah. and they had a big 9-11 memorial with the names scrolling on yeah. on the thing. It was, uh, it was really, uh, from what I've seen mm-hmm. on TV, we, we can't even hear it or anything in the locker room. But uh, from what I, hear, what I saw on TV afterwards it, uh, and what my family told me that was there was uh, pretty uh, pretty moving. No wardrobe malfunctions or anything. No, 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 nothing like that. What, what I remember from the last Bengals Super Bowl, the real story of the whole thing, the real reason they didn't win was because of uh, something the night before, Stanley Wilson. Yeah, I remember. Um, you were just talking about, you know, people, you know, having to wear sunglasses or whatever from the night before, but Stanley took it to another level. Well, that, and, that, that, uh, that, 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 the coach was saying, like, hey, First night you get there, go out, have a little fun, be smart, right? Because you can get a lot of your system, and then it's going to be business all week long. So, right. so yeah. please have a question. Um, how many family tickets do you get? Um, every NFL player in the league, two tickets to the Super Bowl. Every active player. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you're playing in the game, you can buy an additional four. And once again, the, the, the two you got to buy as well. They don't give you any free tickets. That's for darn sure. Um, oh, that's ridiculous! No, 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 no. Um, well, it, you only get most mm-hmm. of the time two free yeah, yeah, tickets, two free tickets for home games, and that's it. Um, not even for away games. But uh, so you, you can usually buy up to four more. But the team has a pretty big allotment. A lot of them they try to sell in packages to season ticket fans and things like that. Um, but typically, you can you know buy a few more if you got more friends and family going out. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, so let, we'll wind it down here. You've been very generous with your time. That's been mm-hmm. awesome. I have a last question, but I, I want to defer to Lisa. Yeah, I, uh, I share a birthday with uh, Johnny Carson and Weird Al. And Weird and Al. Reynolds. Mm-hmm. And Dwight Yoakam, who is also from this area. Didn't know that. Yeah. I, I will say to the listeners, one of the things that's super amazing, I think, anyway, is that um, Mark grew up in Norwood, Ohio. Norwood, Ohio is nine square miles. It is the only incorporated, it is the largest, I'm sorry, the largest incorporated city that is completely surrounded by another city. So it's kind of, you know, he really does come from a small town. It's a small, it was a small blue collar town. Um, We had, uh, uh, what is it, uh, playing cards? What's the name? U.S. Playing Cards. Yeah, U.S. Playing Cards was here. Uh, we still have General Cena. Motors was there. Yes, General Motors. They left. Um, we had uh, was Beam in Norwood or was that in Cincinnati? Cincinnati. Okay, but I mean there was a lot of factories that kept Norwood going. And um, <clears throat> yes, I am. Oh, okay. Okay. When I'm, you know, okay. I just wanted people to have a little background that he comes from a very small city it's not a town it is actually a city based on per capita very close-knit yeah everybody knows everybody yeah you know it was a small town vibe um but you also had all the cincinnati stuff the culture the the plays that kind of thing it was very close by but you didn't have the weather Mm -hmm. that you have in jackson right (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Not to mention if you're in Norwood, who knows who's gonna stop by. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, my uh my usual question that I end with is 
Um, is there anything that we didn't speak about that you particularly think you want to put into this kind of um, social interaction? Um, or is there anything that, you know, we, somebody usually asks that, you know, you're like, well, they didn't even ask about this. Well, you any charities you want to promote oh. or anything like that? Oh, yes. Well, and I, we you have lots of charities. What's that? Um, I know that you have charities, for instance, um, uh, I believe you donated the money for uh, an update for uh, the stadium where you used to play. Shea Stadium? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we, we did some oh, stuff works. before the weight room and some stuff for the school and stuff like that way back in the day. But, uh, you know, it's been, uh, been been a while, so. Yeah. Anything, nothing you want to promote? No charities or no projects? No, no, no. Nothing it, that you're doing that you want to? Have a golf outing and things like that. But as time goes on, you know, I, I get more involved with my kids' lives and things like that. Uh, don't, don't play golf anymore or anything like that because, uh, you know, I'm busy at kids games or I'm busy on the road working. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, actually meant Philip mentioned, um, you did, a, a you coached girls football. Oh, wait a minute. That was what? my last question. Oh, I'm sorry. You just Philip, it. I'm sorry. I thought you were going to do your last, last question. Oh. Take two. At the end, you'll get a yeah. chance to do your socials if you want to. So your friend, oh, your former teammate, Jamie Wisman. Mm-hmm. Heard you were yeah. going to be on. He was very excited about it, mm-hmm. and he asked me very cryptically, and I still was not able to figure it out. Uh huh. Sorry. Ask Mark if he remembers coaching a powder puff team with me that did very well. <laughs> yeah, we uh, had a juniors versus seniors uh, powder puff game when uh, I was a junior in high school, and uh, yeah. we had we had we had a lot of fun. Uh, I think we had more fun at the after party than we did the actual game, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was a fun, uh, fun couple of weeks. And uh, you know, we raised a little bit of money for the school and charity, and you know, uh, some of the school programs and things like that. So uh, definitely mm-hmm. had a good time. Good, good, all right. Cool. Um, actually, there is that. That brings up you raised a lot of money. Um, that for me brings up the question of uh, college players getting compensated. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't really have a problem with it. I, I don't think it's uh, regulated. I, I don't know how they're going to regulate it. it mm-hmm. It's kind of wild, wild west. But the amount of money that the NCAA and each of these universities and each of these coaches are now making is astronomical. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know what these universities are doing with that money other than, you know, there's a lot of people making a lot of it. So yeah. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know how they're going to not turn it into a like mini pro style type thing. Cause now there's these right. schools talk about who, if you come here, you know, we got an idea NIL deals lined up for you. So, Hey, every player is going to get, you know, ten thousand dollars a year this whatever you know so at some point it becomes who's going to pay these guys the most instead of hey you know why am i going to this university so there's a lot of problems with it um but these kids need to be getting something um mm-hmm. you know they're uh, you're making they're making their money well yes they're the product yes the yeah, yeah. And, and compensated with an education all that as well but yeah. at the same time Mm-hmm. The level of the, you know, the, the amount that a normal student would pay 
for the education. These players are making multiple of way, you know, huge multiples of that for the university. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then when I played, you know, they only gave us three meals a day. And, you know, as a college kid, 18 to 20 years old, 22 years old, I'm starving Mm -hmm. at 10, 11 o'clock at night. So they wouldn't even let us take food. We, you know, we, we had to, you know, find a couple bucks to order a pizza or something like that. Mm. Um, you know, then there's travel back and forth from home. You know, there's family coming to see your game. You know, Notre Dame, for example, recruits kids out of Hawaii, California, all over the place, Florida. It's tough for those parents to get back and forth, right? It's tough for that kid to get home at, you know, at the end of the semester, at the end of the school year. It's tough for them to get back to campus, right? Because the university can't foot that bill for them flying mm-hmm. back and forth or traveling back and forth. They can't foot that bill for a parent to come see their they kid. They're not allowed to? Or no. They not, they play, they're not won't allow them to. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's got to be something there, but it can't be the wild, wild west either. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the right answer is. I'm all for the kids percentage. making a lot of money. But percentage mm-hmm. of profit. Well, well yeah, but – you know, it's once again, how to find maybe up, with a know? cap on it somewhere, so people at a small school and Heisman Trophy, you know, is going to get the same amount as the, you know, the the the, the freshman kid that's never going to see the field. You know, I mean, yeah. how, how do you regulate all that? Right. You don't have- percentage for play I if you actually the, play. I can see the complications. You know, I can see it looks like you you played most of the games and most of the seasons that you were in there. Have you ever spent significant time on the injured list? Uh, never. Um, Congratulations. The only time I take that back. The only time I ever missed time with injuries, I tore my MCL my senior year of college, uh, which caused me to miss the last three games. And other than that, I never missed a game uh, due to injury in my uh, career. Pro. Did that affect your draft status? You think? Didn't because it was a minor injury. I came back for the uh, Senior Bowl and uh, played the Senior Bowl, and they saw it was fine and all was cool. good. Yeah. Yeah, it's unusual to get through a career, Was what is it, nine years, no injuries? That's, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you had uh, – Everybody gets bumped. Everybody bruised. gets bruised, but, yeah, that's impressive in and of itself. Yeah, yeah especially uh, being yeah, a, a – pretty uh, punishing position too, I think. Yeah. Being a a person who tackles, did you ever get hurt? Tackle like you know, maybe not the MCL, but I mean, how did you tear the MCL? You, uh, whenever you're hitting people, I mean, you get your bell rung. You know, you see white. uh, You know, you get burners. uh, You get bruises, bumps. uh, You know, dislocations, uh, sprained ankles. Have you ever had a concussion? Uh, Yeah, but they didn't call them them back then. Yeah, just got your bell wrong. <laughs> one documented concussion, but you know I played the rest of the game and all that, and then mm-hmm. you know sat out a couple of days of practice and then played the next week. No big deal. What they say if you make game ten or something, you're you're playing hurt, no matter who you are. You're already hurt, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. On that note, mm-hmm. thank you very much, Mark. It's been right, no worries. Yeah, man. Thanks, Mark. Yep, always good talking a little football and uh, yeah. good luck to you. All right. Oh. All right, yep. Good night. Bye. Bye, Phil and Lisa. See you. Good night. Uh, we'll see you guys. Thanks. Good night, Mark.
We have social. Twitter. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Instagram. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Facebook. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week. Thank you.